Hi, welcome to Living the Liminal Show. I am Christy Peck, an intuitive life coach, a spiritual guide, and an author and writer. I have changed those titles so many times I have lost count. Titles and losing ourselves in those titles is limiting. There is more to what you see outside of you. And there is much more to what's on the inside of you. You are infinite wisdom and you have an inner intelligence that is simply genius. This show is about vulnerability to share our stories and the courage it requires to live in the present moment with mystical insight and wisdom. This life we are living will always bring us uncharted and unknown moments. You as infinite wisdom will sustain these lived experiences with fierce love and radical authenticity. Living consciously can be daunting in a world filled with so many distractions. This show is nourishment for the soul as we boldly and courageously live the liminal every day. Living the liminal has magical energy that can help us rise from the messy and conditioned aspects to security in our worth, safety in our compassion, and wildly capturing our truth. This is how we arrive at an uncensored peace, a true joy, and a sense of freedom to our own belonging. I am so glad you are here. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living the Liminal this week with Christy Peck. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I know I say this often. I'm so excited for my guest today. And, and if you don't know the backstory, like if you haven't been listening to some of the past episodes in the last few seasons, I found this um, organization or university or, or, or um, classroom for students who want to be coaches. And the interesting thing is I never really wanted to be a coach, but this particular amount of creativity came synchronistically in my presence. And I couldn't deny this force that was pulling me towards going down this path. And I have to tell you that it has been life-changing, transformational. I'm not even the same person as I was. It has just sort of consumed me like, like kind of like when you eat your favorite dessert, it just sort of just takes over everything about your life. And that's what I'm so excited to delve into my conversation with my guest today about what she does and how she, and we'll include her husband, what they offer to the world is so incredible. And so I want to welcome Deborah Burnt Maldonado to the podcast today. Um, Deborah left the corporate world, which I think a lot of people are starting to find this not unusual anymore, but she left the corporate world back in 2003 to pursue her passion to empower others to live their dreams. She is a certified master Jungian life coach, which we're going to talk about the Jungian piece. Um, and she is the author of her latest book is Like a Spark from Fire, Break Free from the Past, Shine Your Brilliance and Become Your True Self. And she also wrote a book back in 2010, Let Love In, Open Your Heart and Mind to Attract Your Ideal Partner. She co-hosts Soul Sessions by Creative Mind, along with her husband, Dr. Robert Maldonado. And in the podcast, they dive into topics such as psychology, relationships, emotional wisdom, spirituality, and the mindset of success in a deep, but very practical way. She is also the CEO of Creative Mind, which is the personal development company that I was speaking to, founded with her husband. Together, they developed the Creative Mind Method, 
a unique coaching methodology based on Jungian psychology, Eastern spirituality, and social neuroscience. Creative Mind University has trained hundreds of Jungian life coaches, like myself, around the world, which has inspired thousands of individuals to transform their lives. She believes that no matter what happened to you or whatever odds were against you, you can change your life and be fulfilled in love, success, and experience true happiness. Deborah, welcome to Living the Liminal. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's been, it's such a pleasure to be here. I am so excited because just like everything I was just reading, I was like getting these chills, like getting fired up. Okay. So this passion and I, and I, and I just get this sense, like the world needs what we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. Like, like we're just in this space where the world needs exactly the spark to come alive in us again. Mm-hmm. And you talk about it, it's never really gone. So no. I want to just jump right into your book, Like a Spark from Fire. Okay. The title alone just literally warmed my heart, but where did that title come from? I was reading a book by Adi Shankara. It's a a translation of, he's an early uh, Vedanta teacher, non-dual philosophy, uh, back in around 800 AD, so a long time ago. And he would have people come to his uh, ashram and they would ask him questions. And people, one of his answers was describing how we, you know, because it's this concept of how we're divine, but we're human. And if we're divine, why aren't we, you know, do we have all the powers the divine has? And, and he really got into, it's really what, when we're in ego and we're in this body, we have names and forms that cover our true nature. And so he said, the spark is actually identical to the fire. And if you can think of the fire as divine, that we're like that spark, we have everything the divine has. It just looks like a different form. So it, it's misleading for us to think that we don't have the powers of the universe within us. And so he said, name and form interrupts and hides our true nature. So that's where I got it from. Well, I mean, it's such a beautiful title because mm-hmm. I know for myself and I'll, I'll share some of this story and, and you know my story too, because I shared a lot of it during the coaching sessions, but mm-hmm. I was just at a point where I had done so much spiritual work. I mean, years, that was, that was really my salvation when I started to awaken and become more aware was all the spiritual work. And yet something just didn't ever click. I couldn't ever get to this pure happiness or joy, or I just kept feeling like I kept grasping for things and feeling like I needed more and more. And, and you talk in the book about like coming to this awareness. And I think that's what like the book itself and the course, and, and I know we're gonna talk about all that too, but that's what it did for me. It sort of built my awareness in a completely empowering kind of way. Yeah, I think um, what happens is that, you know, early in life, we get kind of absorbed and molded by the people around us and our environment, uh, our, our body limit, you know, gives us certain limitations and no one tells us every, anything is possible. It's just the way the world works. And, uh, and we kind of believe this uh, as we grow up, we think everything's separate from us. We have to chase things to make us happy. The ego is very externalized. It's looking for external validation all the time. It avoids you looking inward and, and hiding, um, you know, uh, hides things from you that are really uh, uh, won't help you survive. And it's not a bad thing to have, but what happens is that at midlife, we tend to 
feel this, uh, there's something more. And I feel like I'm not, I'm still not satisfied. It's like thirties, forties, we start to feel this isn't the job I really wanted. This is the relationship I really wanted. I'm still, you know, having issues with the people in my life from early on family issues. And why is it this not changing? And it's because we're looking at it from the lens of the ego. We're looking at the ends of that limitation, how we were taught to perceive the world. And I think, um, out of all the, I've done personal development work for since I was in my 20s. I'm not going to say how long that was, like 30 plus years. And I remember there was a point where I, I finally had a breakthrough. And it was when I started seeing my shadow. I didn't realize it was my shadow, but all the projections I placed on all the people in my life. And it's almost like you you kind of look behind the matrix, like in uh, Keanu Reeves, like you yeah. start to see like, oh, this is why everything's appearing this way. And that's that freedom, that awakening is more of realizing who what's already there, but it's just been covered up by our experiences and the way we're taught to perceive the world. And so in this work, we're really, and it's really Eastern philosophy that's the key is understanding what consciousness is and what we have um who we are on a deep level that we're not this mind body we're not the things that happen to us we're the true self and that it's just shifting that perspective starts changing everything and then you can look at your past and really get get clear on why things happen and why your conditioning happen but if you're in it and you're trying it you're inside the ego trying to fix it it's like i i call it rearranging the furniture you end up just kind of you're patching things up fixing symptoms but it, you're still looking at it from the the old lens and old right. perspective so it's like a paradigm shift that you're describing is that you're seeing the world in a new paradigm and i think remember it's that part of and we talk on this show a lot about forgetting who you are is really what we call it healing but it's the transformation of truly just remembering remembering mm -hmm. these parts of you that you didn't even know they really existed within you because you mm -hmm. had, and, and that's what you talk about with the shadow. I'm, and I'm going to go back to kind of pull apart the layers of every be beautiful thing you just said, but conditioning. So that is a big word right now. We're conditioned, mm -hmm. we're conditioned, but how do we really become conditioned? Because I know when I went through the course, it, a lot of times we think of like, people going through trauma or abuse, but you have a different philosophy of it. And it really, it helped to unleash the freedom within me to even remember was understanding it in a different way. Well, it's very simple. It's that the ego is designed to move us away from pain and move us toward pleasure. So we get conditioned when we make a judgment about a situation mm -hmm. and we make the judgment, not anyone else or we you know we get influenced too but this is bad and this is good and we kind of get it and what we happen to do is let's say um you eat a piece of sweet and you like it your conditions when next time you see it that that's going to taste delicious and you're going to take it if you eat something like spinach when you're young and you hate it you're conditioned to not like spinach but it's also um we get conditioned to standing up in front of class when we're in third grade and kids laughing at us, that creates a negative response. So the ego says, oh, let's avoid that. Let's give you some fear around that. Next time you have to speak up because that's not, uh, doesn't feel good. So it's almost a, it's a beautiful thing the ego does is to protect us and help us survive. And, and even if you look at a one-celled organism, 
they can be conditioned. If you put hot next to it, it, it moves away or cold next to it, it moves away. And so even on a singular cell level, we have this um, part of us that looks for uh, survival. And that's really what we're trying to do. Now there's physical survival, of course, that like someone who's like afraid of getting harmed if they were harmed, uh, right. real serious. But most of our, our conditioning is around social survival. It's, I wanna fit in. And so if you think about it, most people will stay in that mediocre level. What, what's gonna condition me to stay in the group, in the tribe? From mm -hmm. early on in our history of evolution, we wanted to stay in the tribe. So don't stand out. Don't, don't be the, 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 the person that everyone has to take care of. Don't be like the, 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 the broken one. You have to be kind of in this mediocre place. And through that conditioning, we create a persona that matches what we think um, is going to fit with our, our, our family. And then when we go to school, actually, a lot of our, our conditioning is really created by our peers. A lot of people think it's mm -hmm. the parents, but because your peers are the ones you're going to actually live most of your life with, your parents are like the first 10, 15 years. But after that, like 80% of your life is with people your age. So we're very conditioned by people our own age. What, what's cool, what's not cool. Like we all know, we went to junior high. It's like a, <laughs> oh uh, my gosh, yes. You know, a lot of conditioning around that. Don't show, like the cheerleader can't be smart and the, uh, and the, uh, and the smart person can't be sexy and the jock can't show emotion. And, you know, all these things that uh, we, we, you know, we learn as a, as a culture. And, um, and then that conditioning is so unconscious that we forget we even made that decision. Um, a really good uh, story about conditioning is um, the story of an elephant, the elephants, how they train them. I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but the elephants uh, are tied with a very thick chain when they're babies around this little stub. And it's only like two or three feet. And then they learn and they're conditioned to stay within three feet of the stub. And then over time, as they get older, the chains start to become a rope and then it becomes just a thin little thread and that elephant is so powerful, it could break the thread, but it's so conditioned that it won't break free. And there was a story of elephants, so a fire happening at a circus, and the elephants uh, didn't survive because they, in their mind, thought they're not strong enough to break free. They, this chain is so uh, tight, like I am stuck here. And, um, and I heard this story from, uh, um, I can't remember his name, um, Brian, someone, he's this very famous older guy speaker. And he said, the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. And everything in our life, it doesn't make rational sense. Like the elephant is so much more powerful. We right. can read intellectually how we're the divine and how we're so, so powerful. But that conditioning is what keeps us from stepping out and doing things we love, getting, opening our heart to love all the things that we want to do because it's so unconscious and that's really what we're working with. So that's, uh, I, I love that story because I mean, it's sad about what happened and it's, you know, but it's, we're all like that. We're all have these invisible ropes that uh, chains that tie us to our old patterns and we don't even know they're there. Well, and so then the ego is constantly influencing us and we don't even know that we're yes. making decisions that feel right but they're not turning out in a way that feel good. And it does it through like rationalizing, intellectualizing. Yeah. It's like justifying, like think about even working out. A lot of people are starting a diet. It's like that 
we, we all know we want to be healthier, but then the ego's like, you know, you could start tomorrow or oh, it's, it's so cold out. You don't want to exercise today. One and dessert. It, you can eat two yeah, desserts. Just that one dessert. And you know what? It's, it's, it's the end of the month. I'm going to start on the first, you know, and it's like, oh, and then it just, it's just designed to keep you in the old pattern. And it's not, it doesn't judge the pattern as right or wrong. It just says, this is what worked before, like anything unknown it, it, it's afraid of. And so it's trying to do its job. It's not evil or bad. It's just how we survived. And, and thank God we have it because we don't walk in front of, you know, speeding cars and we uh, don't yell and, and get crazy with people, you know, and we, we disagree with them and get beaten up, you know, like we, we keep our composure and we have to be civil. But then a lot of times that uh, after a while, we, we just shut down all our passion and our, all our heart and our soul is not lost, but it's unconscious. Like we're not even conscious of our own soul. And we're just basically acting or reacting out of life, out of life. Well, I think that was the biggest aha for me in the very beginning was you come from a philosophy of you are not broken. You are whole mm-hmm. to begin with. So, mm-hmm. so often our, our personal development programs are we're working towards wholeness, right? And you all come from that framework of you already are whole. So coming from that was just sort of like putting pieces of puzzles, like, okay, then why do I think that way? Then Mm -hmm. why am I acting that way? Instead of, oh, I have to act different in order to. It was a completely reverse. And and I know it helped me to understand. So, So help our audience understand what you mean when you say you're not broken, you are whole. Like, what is that? Well, because, because, well, the true self is not the body or the mind. So anything that happens to our body, Mm -hmm. uh, physically in life, or even our mind, our our kind of, you know, thinking and all that is not the true self that is not touched by that. If the true self is the pure awareness that's witnessing this character in your body, having this life experience, the character is not, is just an experience Mm -hmm. like of an individual having this th- virtual reality. Um, and something real, even more simple is to think about that our ego is there to protect us. So what we're really working on, a lot of people say, oh, I'm gonna work on my trauma. I gotta go back and heal this trauma. There's nothing real, the trauma never really happened. What you're really working on is your reaction to that event. Right. And that is actually a, not, a, not a terrible thing. That reaction was, the ego saying, let's move her away from pain to pleasure. So it's not a broken part of you. The mind is acting perfectly. It's a healthy mind that creates defenses. So what we're doing is we're just working on the defenses that your mind created in that experience and realizing it doesn't need to have it up anymore. It's like putting armor on when you don't need armor. Uh, For example, COVID, right? You know, oh, the, the cases are down. We don't have to keep wearing the mask, you know, or we can if we want to, but it's not like this, you know, it's like taking off that protectiveness mm-hmm. and feeling like uh, that um, I don't need that anymore. For me, that approach is much more powerful than saying there's you're broken. You got to do a lot of healing. And I, uh, I said in my first book, I felt like Humpty Dumpty who fell apart and couldn't put herself back together again. Mm-hmm. You know, I just really felt like after years and years and years of working on myself, I felt like I was never going to be whole. And actually the more work I started doing on myself, there gets to a point where you just feel terrible about yourself and you feel more broken and you're never going to like, if you just keep looking at the ego, it's like, you can find a million things that, that the ego is, 
you know, doing things that aren't appropriate or having feelings that are unsavory and uh, it'll take a lifetime. Like, why are you wasting? It's like this ego is not even real and we're trying to fix something that yeah. is not true. And so it's not bypassing what happened. It's not not processing emotions, but it's the perspective is, is changing. It's the way you approach it as I am whole already, I'm seeing what's like kind of dragging me from fully expressing that wholeness in this body and mind. Not, I need to heal that thing that happened to me. I just need to lift up the defenses that I created to protect myself, which is a sign of a healthy mind. And when we tell people that, it's, I see people cry. Like when we used to do in-person VIPs are just like, oh, I don't have, like, oh, I'm healthy. I'm not broken. I'm not dysfunctional. I'm not this label that I was received, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pure potential. There's something very beautiful about that and, and inviting for people. Well, and I know in my spiritual journey leading up to all of this, you know, so much of it was the ego as hustler, bad, negative, toxic. So you're running. So now you're running away from this part of you. And the philosophy of just seeing the ego as a part of you and the job mm -hmm. it's meant to do that in itself was so freeing because that's how you got rid of the judgment. And even if judgment's not bad, you were able to release that you were judging a part of you that mm -hmm. I remember the day in the course where you talked about that it was a sign of a healthy, a healthy mind that the, using the defenses and the ego was a sign of a healthy mind. I just remember like, oh my gosh, I felt the weight of the world just lifted mm -hmm. for me because I had always been taught that the ego was not cool and not good. So I'm running from this part of me instead of now I can see myself in a totally different way. And this whole process of like uncovering the unconscious mind, you know, Jung referred to it as individuation. And we hear a lot about that now, like now it's starting to come out. What is that process? And how is that different from like, other personal development processes. Well, Young's process is completely like in its own world of its own yeah. than a traditional therapy because most therapies are about building up the ego and repairing the ego. And they don't have a spiritual element because in, in the medical model, spirituality was not spoken of. You know, it's not spoken of. Uh, Young is back in his day, his brilliance was that he said, there's a spiritual aspect to the psyche. And mm -hmm. it, he kind of, you know, was in his own little world that which is very controversial back in the Victorian time, but he was talking about this spiritual nature. And so you can make your ego better, you can make your ego better. But what you're really doing is getting coping strategies, mm -hmm. and you're being better, but the you your identification is still with the ego. It's like now I'm Deborah with a more confident self or now I'm Deborah who's taking more courage. Yeah, you that's know, very externalized. With his work, you're going inward, and you're actually seeing the conditioning, but then seeing this other you that is a possibility outside of it. You're not judging the conditioning, you're not making it wrong, and you're not even trying to change it as much as you transcending it. So individuation is, I'm not I'm individuating from the ego. I'm not, my central perspective in life isn't from the ego's lens. My central perspective in life is from the true self. And so if you're looking, like even from a, a child to an adult, a child will see something very scary where an adult can look at something and say, oh, that's not a big deal. And so that's really what we're doing. We're shifting from that childlike ego, fearful, 
uh, afraid of everything, thinking the world is terrible to the higher self that says everything is included. Uh, I'm not afraid of my fear. I'm not afraid of looking like a jerk. I'm not afraid of hurting, you know, not hurting people, but being hurt by people like that's not going to really hurt the true essence of me. And, um, and ultimately, we're just not running away from things anymore. We're actually moving toward it, like you said. Yeah, I know the other day I made a decision and in the past I would have never made it. I would have mm. stayed in a situation because I didn't want to look a certain way. I didn't want to be perceived. I didn't want to make people mad. I had all that pressure. And this time I felt, I, okay, this was a free moment to make a decision. I made the decision and it's not like the external stuff changed, but it was how I was perceiving myself in that external situation it was completely different than I had ever experienced before. And it was so empowering. And I think that's the, the benefit of the shadow work. So mm -hmm. explain to our audience what is really meant by the shadow work, because the word shadow is out all over the place. Oh yeah, people <laughs> misinterpret that. Exactly what yeah. I understood it to be in the line of work that you all do with, with Jungian depth psychology and, and all of that. So explain it for our audience. Shadow, it, when we create our conditioning, we create a persona that's going to match and fit in with the world to conform, to, to survive. So anything that isn't, that's not adaptable to that persona that doesn't fit goes into the shadow. It's kind of like, we don't need this part of it. We don't want, we want to hide it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and a lot of times it's not even conscious, but when you think of a duality, when you choose to be good, you have to push away bad. When you choose to be nice, you have to push away mean. There, there's always a duality mm -hmm. uh, with the ego. And so the ego creates this shadow and um, it's the things that it doesn't want to be or become, but the shadow is actually a part of our, our psyche that we're denying. And most people think the shadow is all oh, the evil parts of ourselves or even negative voices in our head or negative beliefs or wounds and all that stuff. No, the shadow is things that... Um, and, you know, it could be related to an event that happened, but it's really personality traits that we don't want the world to see or that we don't identify with as the I, like the personality, like I would never hurt anyone. I would never uh, be pushy. I would never be mean, or I can't say no. And that's a pleasing, like, I can't say no, because I don't want people to think that of me. And it's a real, um, the ego is a, a horrible judge. It's, it's not curious. It's very judgmental, black and white. And so we, we have all this part, these parts of ourselves that we can't use. So let's say you, whatever the decision is. So for me, like, what if I would, my shadow was don't make a fool of yourself. Mm -hmm. I would be terrified to do this interview with you. I'd be like, ah, you know, I, and I would justify it. I would say, you know, I don't know, have time. I'm too busy or blah, blah, blah. And, and the shadow, because I, the, the ego's like, no, we don't want her to look like a fool. And so I can look like a fool now. And I don't, I, I integrated that part. Uh, and, uh, and that kind of fear goes away and it opens up more, um, more uh, possibilities for you. Because if you can't be something, you're automatically limited and your ego will use the shadow, like, like mm -hmm. use what it doesn't want to be to stop you. And most of what stops us in life is what we think other people are going to think of us or even what we're going to think of us. Right. And it's really just examining those things and saying with curiosity versus judgment. Is the shadow the same as limiting beliefs or are they different? No, different. Limiting beliefs is on a conscious level. Okay. 
you can get to limiting beliefs like just write a journal it you know it's really there uh the shadow is things that you will actually be surprised that's there that like there. i could see like me not wanting to be mean but there's a deeper part that um uh like the people that show up that annoy you are aspects of your shadow and we all would you know immediately resist that we would immediately say oh i am not this horrible person you know or this person who's stealing and all those things but that's in our shadow and so we have to examine it it's not that that's who we are but it's almost like us judging that part of yes. humanity makes us limiting in how we express ourselves i know there was a time when i was actually going to go away for four days by myself because i have four kids and i could hardly even pack my suitcase and driving to the airport, I was having massive anxiety because in my body was this thought that then I realized was part of the shadow later on of a good mother doesn't leave her kids for herself. Mm -hmm. A good mother can't be this. A good mother mm -hmm. can't do this. And I was like, what in the Sam Hill is wrong with me in this? <laughs> I can't take four days. My husband's home with them. They're all fine. I deserve this. Like I had to really do some mental talking because that whole concept of good girl, good mother, the fact that we need to be perfect in every role that we are, it really inhibits us from, from being our authentic self. So how do we notice when we're operating unconsciously, like from that shadow power? We just feel triggered. We get emotionally triggered. Um, anytime we have an emotion that arises in us, good or bad, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, positive or negative is, uh, is our unconscious showing us something about ourselves. So we can learn about ourselves of what we admire in other people. Uh, when we fall in love and have that, that projection, that's unconscious. That's like a deeper part of ourselves. So the, the emotion is really the key. Uh, but I think we, we know, it feels as though we can't make a clear decision on things. So we, we question and second guess and that's really the conflict because the divine in us wants to express all of who we are and the ego's pushing it down. So there's this kind of battle that's going on in inside. And so we always say that inner conflict will show up as an outer conflict. So you this situation that you're, you're taking that vacation that, that really pointed to that inner conflict. And, um, and, you know, as a coach too, like me teaching for so many years, there's a lot of inner conflict with how do I be this teacher and still have stuff I'm working on? Like yes. I should know everything. I should be perfect. And when I wrote the book, I was very, very, I don't know if you noticed, I was very transparent with and vulnerable with a lot of my stories about where my faults were. And, and just, and after I wrote it and it was printed, I was kind of like, Ooh, maybe I shared too much, but I said, you know, the only person that could judge me for that is me. And if I'm okay with all the things about me, no right. one can judge me. And that's really what we're really kind of getting to is that it's our own judgments, our own um, limit, uh, you know, uh, harshness on ourselves that we're really experiencing out there. It's nothing. That person isn't rejecting you. That person isn't being mean to you. You're already being mean to yourself, but that person's just a reflection. And yeah. so if we use those, those triggers and those emotions to say, be curious about it versus just projecting and saying, let me get away from those toxic people or uh, let me avoid this situation or avoid this feeling. We're really running away from things that are actually there to help us grow. Yeah. Cause I know when like so much of me understanding that when things showed up in the external, 
they were just like you all use the word opportunity. I love that word mm -hmm. because it's not a challenge. It's not a problem. It's just an opportunity. It felt so open, but that was a time for me to go inward and be like, okay, what's happening here? What's there? Um, on page 10, you talk about, you made a statement, your internal image of your mother helped you create your own persona. And, and so explain this early role for me, for our audience mm. and stuff. This early role with the mother seems so um, influential in how we, you know, continue to evolve. Well, whether we like it or not, when we're, we're born with this idea of Jung said, the mother archetype, mm -hmm. which is this image of a mother. So when okay. we're born, we have it in our DNA, the know to suckle the breast and know that this person who I came out of her body is my mother. And there's a sort of a supernatural projection that we put on our mothers that this is why you have the fear of being a bad mother because there's so much expectation on the mother to be this beautiful, perfect, never harming us, keeping us safe our whole life and never have faults. And like God, you know, is perfect and yeah. godlike. And, uh, and then a lot of times we, you know, young really underscores that what we see in our mother is our own disappointment in her shattering that image that we created and that we're projecting on her. And we don't see her as human. We don't give her a break. And so a lot of times we, you know, you hear the good mother, bad mother uh, idea. Uh, there's a great movie uh, that was up for an Oscar called The Lost Daughter. I don't know if you've seen it, oh, but it I is. Did. It will make you very oh. uncomfortable as a mother. It's no, it really like, triggered. It triggered some pieces. I had, to, I had to turn it off and sit with some of those moments a few times. So she's the, really the shadow of every mother around. And so, but the, since she gave us life, she has such an important role. And so she basically is the world to us. Think about when we're in the womb, like she is the world to us. We're encased in this body. We're feeling her feelings. We're experiencing all her emotions and thoughts while we're in her body because we're one with her, which yeah. is different from the father. We're not in the father's body. We're not in his sense. And so as we come out, we are, we have absorbed all that. And then she's our world because without her, we would die. And then we end up seeing, relating everything to how she treats us or how we perceive that nurturing is how good we are, how worthy we are and how the world sees us. So as we grow up, how your, your relationship with your mother will dictate your relationship with the world. So was the world a love nurturing place or was this world a terrible scary place and or inconsistent you know some mothers are inconsistent mm -hmm. and some people mothers have you know mental illness some mothers are depressed some mothers have 20 kids are taking care of and they're trying to do their best and we don't know what's happening in their life because we we're children so we just make all these assumptions and rob's a child psychologist and he said that when he works with kids kids blame themselves for everything that happens in the family they, and everything that's happening fights divorce they feel so bad like it's their fault if they were a better child their parents wouldn't get separated like they think it's their fault and um, and they make up stories and so the mother's not responsible for giving up those stories maybe she's responsible a little bit for the environment but we're the ones who made a decision of what that meant and right. that inner like assumptions that we make are deep within us. And then we create a template, mostly uh, as women, we create a template, 
because she's a woman, we're a woman, of what kind of woman we're going to be. Are we going to be the mother, nurturing mother, or are we going to be the professional where we shut down emotions? Are we going to be like our mother or are we going to reject her? And I think if for every woman to examine their relationship with their mother and, um, and, and figure out what that is they learned from her versus just saying she's a terrible mother and Right. I don't want anything to do with her. It's like there's energy there. And the more you hate someone, the more you reject someone, the more power they have in your life. So sure. you have to reclaim that power. Um, I want to share a story about this because um, I'm, my mother's a lot like me. And I really didn't have a lot of mother issues, except I didn't want to be married and trapped in a relationship like she was. <laughs> That's kind of my assumption that I saw. But I, she's been listening to my book on tape. And she just recently told me that... Um, uh, it, and she doesn't read self-help at all. She's a Catholic woman, you know, like God is the answer to everything. And she said, you know, I said, she said, it's changed my whole outlook on life. Just, just listening to your audio book. She said, I'm really feeling more courageous. I was kind of feeling sad and depressed. She's 81. My father passed away 10 years ago. And she said, I feel so much energy and I want to meet people and I'm not afraid anymore. And she said, I just want you to know. And I think because I'm like her, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, she basically, I helped her maybe a lot of the stories she could relate to because I basically had a lot of similar experiences, you know, with kind of the whole conditioning. And so it was really beautiful. Like it's never too late for, for anyone to understand this work. And uh, to me, it was such a beautiful um, kind of gift to, to give my mother in her last years of life to really be able to um, live fully, you know, she could live for another 10, 15 years. And now she'll have more energy, you know, and she'll be happy and ver versus like, slowly declining, because well, the ego just will do that. Exactly. And reclaiming the the emotional power of you get to choose how mm -hmm. you see yourself, and then you get to act upon that. And you mm -hmm. talk a lot about an emotional template too. And that mm -hmm. we created this emotional template when we were younger. Um, how do we, I know Young was big on emotions are needed for transformation. And we don't, again, often, that seems to be in the personal development world, how to just strategize around an emotion, not delve right into feeling it and owning it. So how do we evolve to really own those emotions in a more powerful kind of way? Well, we have to accept as a human being in this body, we're emotional beings. And to experience the range of emotions in life without judgment is a powerful expression and experience in this world. Uh, the divine uh, pure awareness doesn't have that experience. So there's a reason why we're in this body and able to feel all these things. Mm -hmm. And um, and so what we wanna do is early in life, the conditioning, the emotions run the conditioning. So as long as we're afraid of an emotion, we're afraid of feeling something, the emotion is more powerful than we are. And so what we do is go toward the emotion and we see that pure awareness is the power and we're watching the emotion and it's like, you're not going to scare me. I'm going to, I'm afraid. Okay. I'm not going to let fear drive me. I'm not going to let my sadness drive me. I'm not going to let um, my hurt drive my life anymore because what we're doing is we're giving so much power to the emotion conditioning in our life that we don't, uh, we're, we're just kind of re again, rearranging the furniture, trying to basically doing what our conditioning does is move from uh, that plane to pleasure. That's all we want to do. And we're just kind of back to square one again by going toward it and saying, you know what, this is very uncomfortable. Um, I find that it's, it really makes us, 
the shadow work and the emotional work makes us really be brutally honest with ourselves of who we are as a human being, even though that's not all of who we are, but we have to be brutally honest with what the ego is, has created for us and the parts of ourselves or the personalities that we, that we are kind of make us recoil a little bit is to be brutally honest and face those. That's power, not blocking things in the corner and running from them. It's really going head on and facing it. And that really will give us freedom or else the emotion again, you give it power. If you have to get rid of it, anything you have to get rid of, you you give it power. So do you believe we can be neutral? No, I don't think that's the goal. Yeah. I I think there's a a famous emote. We're meant to feel something. Yes. There's a a neutral. Yeah. Neutral is, is, is basically repression. A lot of people that say, oh, I, I don't feel angry anymore and all that. That's basically repression. And you want to have a healthy balance. It's not that you have to have rage every day, but you want to kind of get in touch with that anger, which is actually passion. It's a passion. It's a will to live. This is what moves us. Anger is just a repression of that action, a repression of our, uh, repression of our power. Uh, if we understood anger is just power, just limiting and feeling limited, uh, then we say, oh, wait, let's examine this. Let's change the label around it. Let's look at what the sensation is. Um, it's like um, the Upanishads say that there's two birds sitting in the tree of life. Mm-hmm. One bird eats the sweet and sour fruits while the other bird watches in non-attachment. And that's what we want. We want to have our human life and all the glory of falling in love and heartache and sadness and grief when someone we love passes. It's it's a beautiful uh, honor to a person to really miss someone and get connected and and the, the agony of defeat and the victory is the thrill of victory you know like it's part of being alive and and we don't want to just like be in, in this mediocre blah yeah i'm okay comfort zone it's like oh give me challenges make me feel fully alive and that's um and then know that nothing can harm me. And in that place, what an amazing life experience we would have. We would do so many incredible things that didn't scare us. I think the concept of feeling supported, even when the challenges are stirring you up, is such a different way to live life. Like Mm -hmm. that's the opportunity is, can you experience the ebb and flow of your life and feel fully supported by something beyond yourself? so that you can be full expressive. Mm-hmm. That to me was like another eye-opening moment was, oh, wow. Okay, I didn't even know this was available. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, and I, that's why it's just very, like Vedanta is not very well uh, taught. I mean, the only person I know that really teaches it very well is Deepak Chopra actually, is right. non-dual philosophy. Um, but uh, it's, it's mostly a lot of what we hear is that kind of duality is the Western medicine has infiltrated spiritual work and uh, coaching and personal development. It's very medicalized. It's very like diagnosis and healing. And, uh, and that's okay. I mean, for people that have mental illness, but for the everyday person, we don't want to fall into that trap. There's so much more. And even in modern medicine, I mean, we're still not looking at the soul of the person, the the spirit of the person, the potential of the person. We're looking at the symptoms and how do we alleviate pain? How do we give that short-term fix? And, uh, you know, and in this society, that's I think a lot of people are looking for. Just give me the short-term fix. But if you really commit to yourself and go toward what's uncomfortable 
you get such a bigger payoff in life. You get such a bigger life to live. Yeah, totally. Because I can see how like little things, you just want to go from plain to pleasure, right? Feel good. Mm -hmm. You just want to feel good in the moment. But I know down the road, I never really felt good afterwards. It just felt Mm -hmm. good in that split moment. And uh, you talk a lot about in the book that, again, everything is an opportunity and you believe coaching is there to help people navigate. Yes. The philosophy that we need to have a coach that helps us because insight is different than transformation and moving into the depth. So explain some of that to us. Well, the ego is very clever. And if you try to do the work on your own, especially shadow work, it will convince you that it's very externally focused. Like it's pointing outward. It's saying that person has a problem. This situation has power over me. And it won't tell you this insight of, oh, wait, it's me on its own. You need someone who's actually beyond, who has done their own shadow work and not just any coach, but someone who's actually done shadow work is on the journey of individuation because they see things from a different perspective already. They've gone through the dark night of the soul. They've got faced all these things. So they're not going to tolerate when you say, yeah, this woman, Mary, I really you know can't stand her and, and, and not coach you on how to keep boundaries. She'll say, well, what about Mary is triggering you? And, and what, mm-hmm. what can we learn about this? And how is this an opportunity? And I could tell you when I did personal development on my own in my patchwork kind of way, I always went for like, oh, when it gets too uncomfortable here, then I dig another hole here and I dig another right. hole here. And you're digging all these tiny shallow holes versus staying with one consistent path. And um, uh, after 15 years of doing personal development on my own, I hired a coach because I started my own business. I left the corporate world. And in that one year, I had more progress in my life and more change than I did in the 15 years because I had a coach say, don't, you know, nope, look at it, you know, look at this, you know, keeping me in my lane and keeping me focused and keeping me committed. And I paid for a year of coaching, a year. That was my first coach I ever had. I I was like a year, (laughs) but it was really very profound because uh, and then that's what sold me on coaching. I was like in hip- doing hypnotherapy originally. And I said, I think I want to be a coach. It seems like longer term. It seems like right. more consistent and that you're getting people that don't just want the bandaid of help me quit smoking, help me lose uh, 10 pounds. You're working with people that say, I want to live my purpose. I want to have bigger, uh, bigger experience in life. So it was a different shift for me having a coach. And, um, and I see it every time people that don't have coaches just get lost. They get lost looking for the ego picks out the things that aren't going to really challenge you. And then it's going to make the things wrong that challenge you. It's going to say, oh, you don't need to do that. Or you don't have money to do that. Or you don't have time to do that. It will, the ego will use its defenses to just stop you. And where a coach can keep you accountable and and help you because they recognize the defenses and they'll be able to say, you know, is it really true or is it not? And help you get, not tell you what to do, but get to the answer of you getting to your truth, not listening to the ego. And it's a very powerful process, very collaborative. It's not healing. It's the coach isn't healing you. The coach is saying, let me just replay what you just said and let me help you examine. It's called self-inquiry, but collaborative inquiry. Uh, with a coach is you're really both asking yourself and being curious about what's happening versus judging it and moving on, which is normally what we do with conditioning is like we make a quick judge, we react, and we're still back in that pattern. So it's like a disruptor having a coach. They disrupt that thinking. They disrupt that path. The, 
Yes, they disrupt the flow of what you've always thought, right? And I know yeah. for me, when, when we were going through the program and getting coached, it was like, a lot of times I'd have to step back and I could feel myself almost having a little temper tantrum on, wait a minute, I've always thought this and now it's being broken down. And yet once I could work through the messiness of it, it was like, whoa, okay, now I can see what was happening here and how that limited everything I was doing. And okay, let's move on. And I know even the clients I have, because I went through the process, I can now see the mirror of what's what when they say things to me and what's going on. And because I've been there. I and you can't see it yourself. You can't really oh, see the shadow no. yourself. And we, we would have group calls and people would call in and they would, you know, they would talk about this person that really irritates them. And everyone mm -hmm. in the group knew that that person they were kind of being like that to everyone else, but they didn't even see it in themselves, uh, how they could be that way. And it's not judging that, but it's saying, you know what, you can be that way. We can be a little bratty sometimes. We can be a little gossipy sometimes. And just like, not judge it, but just say, why does that happen? Why do I do that? And, and be loving and compassionate to yourself. And then you start, stop judging those other people and say, it's curious, why, why, would, why would she act that way? You know, right. instead of just, she's wrong. <laughs> Yeah. And you really start to see your own patterning in other people, their patterning. It's all the very same. Like a, like a hologram. <laughs> You're seeing yourself yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the one, what is that? Like when you walk through the mirrors and you can see your back and the front and your back and forth and you're like, is there any difference there? Mm -hmm. You talk a lot in the book too about non-attachment. That is another mm -hmm. buzzword. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can have a lot of controversy on what do you mean I can't be attached or I shouldn't be attached? So explain to us the philosophy of non-attachment as, as you understand it in the work that you do. Well, attachment is a, a, a concept of the ego. The ego is attached to external things. Like I want this job or I want this amount of money or I want this relationship uh, or I want that person to be a certain way or, uh, or I want to reach a goal. And there's nothing wrong with having that desire, but the ego's attached because it thinks when I get that external thing, I'll be better. Yes. That's all it is. It's the ego's attachment to I'll be better. I'll be happier. I won't be in pain anymore when those external things come in. And so what we're saying is non-attachment is that you're okay now and you want to have this new experience, but it's not going to define you. It's not going to make you better. It's not going to make you stronger. Like happiness is in here, not in the money. It's not in the relationship. It's not in having the perfect body. Uh, you know, all that where we, the ego's facing outward, it's attached. We're dropping the ego's attachment. Not that souls, soul can, uh, when the soul desires something, it's like we have a desire for something naturally. It's like the soul wanting to express itself. Mm -hmm. That is very beautiful. But then the ego hijacks that desire and says, oh, yeah, we really beautiful to have a relationship. Then you can love yourself. Then you'll be worthy. Then, you know, when you have a full coaching practice, then you'll be happy. And right. it, that's the attachment. It's not the desire itself, but what you think that desire will give you to build up the ego. Does that make sense? So we still work towards the desire. It's just, we absolutely don't, we're not putting all of our pennies in the basket for the desire to be the result that we definitely want. We're allowing it to even look somewhat different because we we're just doing the work towards the result. 
And a lot of times we don't know how attached we are until we don't get what we want. Yes. So we're like, oh, I'm not attached. I'm not attached. And then the thing doesn't happen. And then we feel this feeling. It's an opportunity. What is going on? Why am I, why, how do I have stress around this? Not getting this. And, uh, and we'll realize that the attachment was there. We just weren't conscious of it. And so then we work with it and then we go again. And what happens is too, is that the desire is there, but the ego has a strategy for how it thinks it's going to show up or when it's going to show up. So that's attachment. And so it makes a judgment of, oh, that didn't work out. So you're going to fail, you know, and then you feel the sadness, but maybe that thing not working out is part of a bigger plan that you think of your pure awareness can see above this, the senses and has like a bigger plan. And, and maybe the plan is for you to fail first so that you can work with this attachment. So then you can have those things and be more free. So we have to trust in whatever showing up for us as an opportunity. And that really drops that attachment because or else we are just constantly going from one trapeze to another, grasping, grasping, grasping throughout life. And we never get anywhere. We're, it's never gonna be enough. And we're never satisfied. And in non-attachment, you're having joy in just taking the action. I, when I wrote the book, I had no attachment to, if one person read it or thousand people or uh-huh. hundred thousand people read it, I just know I needed to do it. So I did it out of love, uh, out of my desire. And if I was attached, I'd be like, ooh, are people gonna like this? And I, if I do it this way, people will buy more, you know? And then it muddles up the creativity, it muddles up uh, your expression. And then it becomes this inauthentic piece of art <laughs> that isn't really you. And so it does interfere with um, us really even uh, having great relationships. Uh, I worked with a lot with singles. So attached to finding that person that they they couldn't see that 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 ideal person was right in front of them because it didn't look, they didn't look the way uh, they thought it would, you know? Well, and I think when when you can make a decision or when you can see all aspects of yourself, then when an opportunity shows up and you get a little triggered and then you have to start going, okay, what's going on there? What's, what's here? What's just trying to teach me or inform me about myself. And then you make another decision. That decision comes from such a deeper place mm-hmm. and you know, the truth of it. I know just recently I was in a situation where we had planned to do a retreat and I was working with another person and, you know, all the way through the beginning was excited, felt this was the right thing to do. We were doing all this stuff. And then the ego started to get the best of me and I could hear the voices of, well, no one's signing up and no one's, no one's coming forth and no one's talking about it anymore. And And, and then I had to sit with, okay, what's going on? I'm having some massive like feelings and emotions getting triggered around this. And when I went in and did the deeper work, it was so, I'm going to say awfully good. I'm going to use those two words because I had to realize you did this for the wrong reason. Like you even Mm -hmm. attached to it. You even said yes to it for the reason that you thought it would define you and it doesn't define you. So then the good part was, okay, I'm going to walk away, which was Mm -hmm. hard, but good. Yeah. And, And it was such a free, I remember my body just felt like, Although I was very sad because I had to realize this part of me that was seeking out approval in that way, but it was so unconscious until it was made conscious. You know, uh, this brings up a really good point too, is that a lot of people would look back and say, judge themselves for being attached, right? And and like, I should have done it differently. 
And I want you to know that whatever and everyone, whatever, ever, ever even mis, uh, you making mistakes all happens exactly as it should. So you making that, that path for you gave you the lesson. So it's not bad. So we don't make wrong turns or right turns. That's how the ego thinks. It's like, everything's perfect. You had to show up that way with the ego, getting all that so you can learn that. And so I think a lot of people get hard, hard on themselves and they need to forgive and get, you know, like uh, judge themselves so harshly. I'm totally uh, one of those people that always yeah. try a perfectionist. But if we could look at our past and those experiences and say it played out, even if I was unconscious playing out all that role, it happened exactly as it should and how you reacted to another person so you can get something bigger and you just have to trust that even when we're lost in conditioning that the self is always trying to lead us back home and so we're we're never going to be off track because if we are open to it the self in us is always going to just lead us back to the truth and so no matter how many mistakes like the prodigal son you know you can make all the mistakes you're still the best you know like it's like giving yourself that beautiful experience of messing things up, thinking wrong, failing, uh, upsetting people and saying, you know what, this exactly because for that person in you, this is a perfect situation for the person you had to say no to, to back out of, they are learning something from that experience too. And you just have to trust in that the bigger picture. Well, I think it's giving ourselves the permission to be all of to, if we're whole, then we have constantly, it's like a, constant commitment to keep being whole and that means giving herself permission to be all of it and even to feel there was an array of emotions I had to feel I mean I felt disappointed I felt sad I felt Mm -hmm. mad I felt and I just kind of let myself have a few days of just stomping around throwing a little timber tantrum you know not one to talk to anybody it's just energy your mind your your ego is like detoxing itself and so it's good to feel all those things And it was just, it was just an okay thing. And I think facing those challenges head on, like you talk about versus like running or numbing ourselves away from them. You talk a lot about wisdom mindset. Mm -hmm. Explain that to us because that's such an empowering place for people to understand they have available to them. Well, on a conscious level, we all think the wisdom is unconscious. It's a spiritual part of our, but on a conscious level, we do have a direct channel to uh, that wisdom of the universal wisdom, which I call we call the wisdom mind or the divine intellect. And so we have the ego part of our mind, our conscious mind, that's kind of telling us the stories, being the traffic cop in our life, uh, teaching our body how to react and, and have this concept of I, this limited way. But then there's this other part of our mind that's, again, the awareness, the pure awareness, that's the wisdom mind. It's a part of our mind that, again, is just watching the ego. <laughs> so as the more we stop identifying with this ego that's kind of wrestling with life and listen to the part of us that's watching ourselves wrestle through life, that's who we are, then everything changes. Um, the ego isn't even real. It's If you go to bed every night, when you're in deep sleep, that ego dissolves away. It's right. not, it's, a, it's an experience. It's not a thing. It's actually an activity a function like digestion that happens when we're in a mind body. So it's like not identifying that, that we're this function of this conditioned body and uh, patterns of like almost like a, a, a machine that's like kind of trying to keep itself alive <laughs> and identifying with this wisdom. We start to do that and meditation is a really great way to start that. It's just listen, watching your thoughts is it's such a simple exercise. 
but you start to identify with the witness versus the thinker. Yeah, I, when you start to be able to do that, it's like looking at yourself on a stage and just watching mm. things play out. And mm -hmm. sometimes I'm even in the middle of talking and I'll be, it's like, I'm looking at myself going, what are you saying? Like, where did that even come? I used a phrase last night at dinner with a friend and I got home and I started thinking, where did that phrase come from? Why would I use that phrase? Now all day, it's been like curiously, um, kind of like in an incubator. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that two words came out of my mouth. I don't quite know what they mean yet, but there's, there's something coming through me and and I think when you can start to watch yourself in that way, again, that's just another form of being free and feeling free and not locked into a system or a pattern or a cycle. And you're just living it over and over again. Like that one mm -hmm. movie, Groundhog Day, isn't that where they just live something over and over? Or yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and that's so, everyone's life. <laughs> Wake yeah. up, it's the same programming every day. Let me do the things the same way. Wishing things would change, but waiting for something to show up to change it and not realizing that you're the cause there, of your life. Exactly. And, and feeling, I know for myself and even my clients that I work with now, and I've watched this shift and transformation take place. It's beautiful when they start to realize that this internal wisdom has been there all along and they start to mm. use it and not feel locked into their external I know for myself, my favorite play is Wicked, right? And the song Defying Gravity, where they talk about that, that, that realization that all of this going on out there is not really what you want anymore. You want something more meaningful and purposeful. And in the book on page 136, you write about it, this moment in this thought where you say, I just want to see what I am made of. Okay, that I just got chills literally when I said that. That to me is the spark. Mm -hmm. so when you yes. finally realize I want to live pure potential, pure awareness. I want to live the best that I can do. See how far I can go. See whatever, you know, how expressive I really can be. I just think that's really an important piece there. That was just kind of sums it up for me. Did you feel yeah, it's like a boldness to, yeah. to like be willing to even like for me, when I left the corporate world, I didn't know I was going to succeed. I never had a business before. I didn't have that much in savings. I was, I don't know. I mean, I had a really nice salary, uh, brand new car, nice condo. I was like, what am I doing? But I just felt like I played so safe my whole life. Yeah. And I would just was, was tired. I was sick and tired of being stuck. And I, I just want to see, let me try this. I've been thinking about doing this for my whole life. Let me just see if I fail, I can go back and get another job, but I just want to see what I'm made of. And, and, it's, I look back and I wish I could tell that part of me that you're going to do all these things. You're going to meet the love of your life, like in a year, because you're going to step into your true self, not this corporate right. person. You're going to grow so much. You're going to reach so many people. You're going to travel the world. Like, I wish I could tell her, don't be afraid. But I think a part of me, the divine in me just knew that I was meant for more. And I think we we're all meant for so much more in our life. And the ego says, no, 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 this is good enough. This is, you know, that you don't have to challenge this and procrastinates and, um, and, and just to, to see that try something bold because there's what's going to happen to you. Nothing <laughs> like there's yeah. no real like downside. Uh, you'll, you'll find a way your ego will, I mean, your, uh, your spirit, your soul will find a way to make it help you if you're willing to commit to it. You know, a lot of people listen to the ego, they take a step in and they back out 
put the toe in the water or uh, just kind of play on the surface of it, uh, pretending they want to do something, but never do like write, write a book, but never try to get it published, uh, all those things. Yeah, and sometimes when I'm going to use this, because I wrote a book a few years ago and didn't realize I was so locked in old patterns that I didn't even feel good about the book. I mean, I had people telling me it was a great book and they really enjoyed it and it helped people. And I prayed that it would help me and it would help other people. I did all of that, but I was so con I was so locked in an unconscious pattern of self-defeat and self-denial and and loathing and not even loving what was coming out of me that even to this day, it's still, even when I look at the book has a little bit of energy towards that. And I'm having to welcome that book back into my life in terms of, are you freaking kidding me? That was an amazing feat that you did to go mm -hmm. back into your stories and write in a way that could help other people. Even if it was only that one or two or three or four, like look what you did and and so sometimes we're not even aware of this unconscious part of us that's playing out our life for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that understanding you have this spark. So just, just being willing to do something bold mm -hmm. gets you out of that pattern to where then you can start to see, oh, that's a doorway. Oh, that's a gateway. Oh, that's an opportunity. Light can then come in a little bit. And it's uncomfortable. It's like the willingness mm -hmm. to be uncomfortable. Uh, we we want that pleasure. So the ego doesn't like discomfort. And I could tell you the first year of my, as a business owner was the most terrifying and the most rewarding year of my life. Yeah. It was really amazing. Like I, I had gotten to my deepest fears, but I got into my highest heights. And it was almost like um, I really got to understand how I can create my life and create something outside of just getting a paycheck. It was like I had to face all those fears. And I found a way. It's just like throw, getting thrown into the water. You, you learn how to swim. You know, you yeah. figure out a way. And, uh, and, and most people aren't brave enough. And the fact that you're, anyone is just trying, you know, yeah. putting themselves out there, changing their life, doing something different. You have to stop being so hard if it's not working yet. You're in the game. And that's so such a small percentage to most of the masses that are just playing it safe. And it's tough out there. You know, it's tough out there uh, yeah. to face yourself and to face your fears. And uh, it's not comfortable at first, but then it's very liberating. But you have to go through that discomfort. Like Jung says, it's like a, going through a, a narrow hallway as a shadow. It's very constricting. You feel this like pressure, like you don't want to go there. It's like a dark tunnel. But he said on the other side, there's no up, no down, no left, no right, no good, no bad, where everything is possible. And that's really what we're doing. We're basically being reborn yeah. uh, as our true self in this process. So we, we're born as possibility. It's, it's covered up. And then the second half of life is remembering what we came here to do and what we're, we should be doing and what we're, what's possible for us. And um, I think it's a beautiful process of, of uh, you know, forgetting and then remembering again. So there's nothing wrong with forgetting, uh, but also that you have a path to remember, then you'll have a very exciting, exhilarating, fulfilling life. I totally agree. And when you're ready to actually create your life mm -hmm. versus feeling like it's being created for you all the time and it's just coming after you, when you're ready to really step in and say, okay, I'm going to own what I've created so far and I'm going to create it different from here on out. 
Mm-hmm. That is such a liberating moment. It's a decision. And we always have done the best that we could at that moment. And right. other people are doing the exact same thing. So the more we forgive ourselves and have compassion for ourselves, the less we judge others. And we start to invite more possibility instead of thinking the world as these terrible people out there, you know, like it, we start to right. see this love and compassion out there. So it, our inner world and how we reflect on ourselves is how we see the world. And so the best thing we can do is love this humanity that's us, but also remember the possibility, which is the spark. The spark. I love it. Yeah. And so where can people get your book? Uh, they can go to Amazon. We have it on uh, uh, Scribed. Uh, it's on um, Audible. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's everywhere. Uh, you just do like a spark from fire, Deborah, and you'll find okay. me. Uh, if you went, you can go to our website, like and all the information's there as well. And then we do have a meditation set that goes with the book that you can purchase. Uh, but there's a lot of other information there too, if you're interested in, uh, learning more about our company. And if you want to be a coach, uh, be a and young and life coach, coach. yeah, just like, you and, and help others uh, create a wonderful lives and, and do this kind of work, have podcasts and share the knowledge with others. I mean, that's why Rob and I created the university. We, we felt like we needed to replicate ourselves and, and share this other way of coaching in a deep way and, and transform lives. And you're all a part of our, our dream, the ripple effect. It, it was, it really rippled out. And it was, like I said, it was deeply transformational, hard ass work at times, I will tell, I will say, but so worthwhile and, and, and just freeing in the most pleasurable. So moving from pain to pleasure, there we go. <laughs> it was just, it just opened up a whole different way of looking at everything. And I'm even watching. So to talk about the trickle, I'm watching how my own transformation started to be influential in my children's lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching some of my children make these very uh, impactful decisions and just kind of like in awe of, wow, if, if we can do that with ourselves and then we can offer that freedom to our children, maybe they can choose lives and create lives Mm. in a much more beautiful way from the early on and not have to go through these sort of conditioned patterns and feeling like you're, you know, contained in a, in a, in a life you don't know how to get out of in a way. Mm -hmm. And it's really beautiful. It's beautiful to watch that trickle, that little, you know, pebble being bounced around. Um, It's the most beautiful profession in the world to help other people see the divine in themselves. I mean, I know of no greater profession. Uh, It heals all wounds. It heals all uh, uh, physical, mental uh, pain and suffering in in ourselves and then ripples out to the world. So it's a contribution to this world that we're creating all collectively together. Uh, more of us waking up and uh, seeing the truth, not being blinded by our reactions. And especially, you know, we talked earlier, you said there's all this stuff going on in the world of, uh, you know, fights and um, the political climate here in the U.S. and wars in the uh, overseas and, uh, you know, the fears around the pandemic and uh, how, how can people deal with all the challenges of the world? The world's always going to have challenges. How right. can we deal with it in a more awakened, uh, conscious way? And I think that's so beautiful. And that's a beautiful way to just sort of wrap up this conversation. Um, I'm going to ask you our high five questions as, okay. we, as, we, as we close up here. What inspires you? 
Um, me, when I read my first self-help book and it was Louise Hay and she said, you are, your thoughts create your life. And it was the first time I've ever heard that I had power to change my life because I would just think God has all the power. It's of God's will. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that began my journey and all the self-help authors that I read over the years, I have so much, uh, gratitude for them leading me to the path where I am today. Uh, even though I started out and then rearranging the ego a little bit, it's still fine because there's stage in our life where we just have to feel a little better and understand how we work. And, um, and that's really, for me, uh, one of the greatest things is those people who teach higher knowledge, teach us to have, be, have a better life, inspire me the most. I love that. How do you have fun? Ooh, I love to, well, we love to go to museums, Rob and I, and we love to, I love walking to me. That's like my fun thing. I'm getting a bike. Uh, fun. I, I love watching movies. That's my favorite thing. Cause I love looking at the archetypes. I feel like I never get out of this work. Cause I'm always like matching things up, going out to find dinners, you know, just have like, I love that getting together with friends and having deep conversations over a nice, beautiful dinner. I know when you said that about watching movies, I watch movies now and I'm like, Ooh, okay. They're doing that. Oh my gosh. They're doing that. like all of a That's sudden. His shadow. <laughs> yeah. You start to see things. And you're like, Whoa, this is pretty mm -hmm. wild. What's one thing you can't live without? Rob. <laughs> <laughs> and he's my so amazing. I know I'm attached. I admit <laughs> it. Yeah. He's he, yeah. He's um, I feel like we're one person, you know, like, uh, it, but we're different and we both bring, you know, I've searched my whole life. I was in single into my forties. So uh, to find that love is, is just beautiful. And um, yeah, he's the most important person in the world. And I'm so grateful. I'm very attached to him. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's so cool. What does freedom mean to you? Um, it means, um, I guess, uh, free will like to choose your your path in life versus feeling the world is making you choose so the freedom to create what you want and create the life you want that's what freedom means yeah i remember in the beginning of the course when you all did talk about your thoughts create your reality and i had to sit with that for a month i'm like what do you mean like what do you what do you really mean there and and now it's like this many months later a year um i'm like wow okay, now I understand how you can just choose a different thought. Like, it's just that simple. I didn't even realize that before. So mm -hmm. I, I love that you say that. What are you most grateful for? Um, I think the wisdom of the Upanishads. I know that sounds like a dorky answer, but no, the, not the at all. with a wisdom of really understanding who I am. And mm -hmm. I just feel like I, it's like some people love chocolate. I love reading yoga philosophy and it, the Gita. And to me, it just it nurtures my life so much and uh, so grateful for the knowledge. It's helped me live a better life. Yeah, you share a lot of great stuff and I've grabbed on to everything you ever shared because I'm like, that just feels like a warm blanket, literally. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. beautiful. And I just have them stacked up. I need to keep reading them because it is <laughs> like your soul knows that language and it just warms the heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why my mom had such a profound change. She doesn't know all this stuff, but her on a deep level, her soul knows. Yes. And so it was like, allow herself to come out. So the people that you love may not understand 
youngin or even self-help. But when you speak the truth, there's a part of them that that knows it and you just have to speak the truth uh, unafraid so people can really get the, the experience in life that they truly want. It's something waking, w- wakes up in them when they're ready. So I think it's all about when they're ready. Yeah. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a pure delight. Well, I am. It was very uh, wonderful to share with you, and you're hearing your stories, and and uh, so glad that you're doing this great work in the world as well. And I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I learned a lot. And for the audience, go buy Deborah's book, "Like a Spark from Fire." It will open you, invite you, warm your heart, and it's just a great guide. And like we promote. Find somebody who knows this work to help you because mm-hmm. it's life altering and, and it will, it's like giving a, getting a gift that you didn't even know you wanted mm-hmm. until you open it. And then you're like, oh, that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> so yes. thank, thank you all for listening to Living the Liminal this week and remember who you are, brave your confidence, courageously choose you. Be the change, embrace growth and expand your awareness. You are a beautiful soul. I love you. Peace out, my friends. First of all, thank you so much for being here with us in this moment and today. If you enjoyed the show, leave a comment and a rating. We would really appreciate it. Or email me at christy at christypeck.com. We love to hear your insights and your wisdom. If you have any questions about today's show, we provide for you the show notes. You can always email me at christy at christypeck.com or this really other cool feature on Anchor if you're listening on Anchor app. You can leave a voice comment or question. Our intention has always been to provide a sacred space for inspiration, story sharing, inner wisdom, divine intelligence, and celebration. We want to alchemize a movement for love and authenticity, and we believe the world will rise to meet the calling. In addition to this show, there are additional ways to get the help and support you may be looking for to live in peace, joy, and freedom. Please check out my website, www.christypeck.com, for the many ways to work with me. I am always available by christy at christypeck.com. Email me and I will help you get the resources that you need. Remember who you are, live the liminal, fiercely love you and your life and choose peace, joy, and freedom every day.